Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Ray McGee with Realty Executives in Lapeer, Michigan. Last year, he closed 297 transactions with a total sales volume of $18 million. His average sales price was $62,000, of which 25% were buyers and 75% were sellers. He has an 11-member team, four sales agents, one executive assistant, one receptionist, four REO staff, and one team leader. Ray McGee is the team leader of the Raymond McGee team. He's been an agent for 20 years and works both the urban and rural areas around Metro Detroit. In this call, Ray talks about mentoring under his uncle for the first 18 months, moving to the rural area and getting referrals from the urban agents, adjusting to the market collapse during the Great Recession, building an REO business and selling 1,006 homes in a single year. Selling homes for $1 up to $1.8 million. Retooling after the economy recovered and going back into retail sales. Building his practice through community involvement. Generating leads with Facebook ads and boosting posts. Marketing to homeowners who purchased during the recession and now have huge equity. Telemarketing service targeting for sell by owners and expired listings. Dealing with technology and clients who demand your attention 24 hours per day. Prioritizing your family first. Team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Ray. Good morning. Hey, Ray. It's great to have you here. Ray, thanks for joining us today. Before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Well, I, I went to high school. <laughs> I, I, I've been in this business since I was uh, 19. That, well, I sold my first house when I was 19. I actually was licensed when I was 18. You know, I, I went to high school thinking my dad ran a shop downtown. I just thought I'd work for my dad, uh, you know, in the shop and drive a company car, make lots of money, life would be good. And uh, got out of high school, worked down there for nine months. And it was, it was probably the worst nine months of my life. And just decided at that time that... I, I need to do something else. I had no idea what I was going to do. And so I started going to college and, and uh, working part-time as a waiter and, and you know, just basically looking around at, at what other people did for a living. I had to figure something out. And my uncle was a real estate agent in Metro Detroit, a super guy. He lived in a big house, drove a nice car, coaches kids' hockey teams. And I said, well, I, I, I want that life. And so kind of started hanging out with him and uh, like I said, I got licensed when I was 18, worked for him as a buyer agent uh, for a little while, and you know, just kind of took off from there. How did that develop? You said that you started working for him as a buyer agent. 
And I know a little bit more of your story, so so give us a little more. What happened the first year? Did you have a fast start or a slow start that first year? I learned the hard way. So he he did a lot of different things, you know, obviously in the real estate business. So in the beginning, I was just kind of running around for him, dropping stuff off, taking photos, putting up signs for him. Uh, but he also bought and sold houses. So I was doing some painting and some other stuff. So, you know, I, I never, uh, I was never concerned about getting my hands dirty. And, uh, and it just kind of developed. I, I've always, you know, enjoyed working with people. And I grew up in the restaurant business. You know, I, I started working in a restaurant when I was 12. So, you know, just dealing with people and, and realizing that there's a lot of opportunities out there. And so, you know, got my license and I was just a young kid at the time, but, uh, started picking up some buyer calls and, and just being more involved in his business. And then, uh, after a short time, I, I wanted to kind of, you know, being a waiter and, and starting to get into this real estate business. Cause I just loved it. At that point, I was excited. I saw the opportunity and I, I worked in an office where, where he worked on a Metro Detroit, which is some fantastic agents were doing really well. And, uh, so went from just working for him as kind of an assistant to being a buyer agent for him. And then there was another gentleman in the office that was looking to add on to his team. So I, I kind of was a buyer agent for both juggling, you know, two, two different books of business, I guess you could say, and, and taking calls and just working hard. And, and, uh, you know, like I said, it, it just kind of grew from there. I was a buyer agent for a couple of years, uh, for those guys. And, um, it, that was early on. I mean, I was, like I said, I was a young kid and, I met who now is my, my precious wife. And, you know, as I, as I was growing up, I realized, well, I, I need to do, if I'm going to do this, I need to set out on my own and, and, uh, make my own way. And, and as I was right around uh, 1998, 99, I set out on my own and uh, got married in 2000 and uh, moved real estate offices just because of our location where my wife grew up and so on. So I moved from Metro Detroit, kind of the, the rural edge of northern Metro Detroit and, and you know, took the business with me. And, yeah, I built a, a pretty decent book of business just in the first few years I was in the business, but it was also a great opportunity for me at the time is when I moved my office into kind of a rural area, but still most people commuted to Metro Detroit uh, for work. Uh, I, I actually received a ton of referrals from the agents that I worked with at the, at the Remax office that I had started with because nobody wanted to drive out to the sticks to show houses or list houses. You know, we were, <laughs> we were uh, you know, out in the boonies, I guess I'd say. And, and so I, I, I received a lot of referrals from those guys that I worked with and, and started the business with in the first few years. So I'm just kind of curious about that start. So it sounds like you were mentoring under your uncle. How long did you mentor under him? Was it a, a couple months, a couple years? I worked for him for about a year and a half. And during that time, there was about, I would say, six months that I worked for both agents. And it was really great. And I, anybody getting into the business, that's the way to do it. You know, I... I worked under my uncle had a book of business. He had been in the business a while. I, I would have to guess maybe 10, 12 years at the time. And he is the ultimate, what I would call referral machine. He's just, he's a great guy. You know, his clients love them. He taught me how to, how to continue to receive referrals and take care of an existing clientele. And so I learned just a tremendous amount from him just how to take care of people and, and, you know, then the benefits of that. Uh, but the other gentleman that I worked for, he was newer in the business, only been in the business five, six years at the time. And he was still growing his business. So with the second agent I worked for, I learned how to gain business, how to get new business because he didn't have that book of business. He didn't have all his referrals coming in. So I learned how to create a business out of nothing. 
And so between the two, I, I, I had a huge education. Now I didn't make a lot of money. You know, I was a buyer agent. I didn't have a great, you know, split or anything like that. But the education that I received from the two of them was was worth and was worth everything. So, an eighteen month apprentice program where you're learning how to generate new business out of thin air, as well as keep that business and get referrals and repeat business in the future. That you kind of just fell into a great situation. I did absolutely, I, and I, I still am so appreciative of those those two gentlemen who who helped me get into this business. I, you know, obviously my uncle, I still talk to him a lot, and we do some things together. And and uh, the other gentleman, you know, he owns his own brokerage now, and I stop in every couple months and see him, and and uh, we've got a great relationship. You said that in about '98 you moved out on your own. How far into the business were you when you moved out on your own? I sold my I sold my first house in 1996, so I was about two years under those between those two guys that I was working underneath them, and and then you know set out on my own. You moved out to the rural part of the city, or well, outside of the city, into the rural part of the the area. How long into the business were you? It was in 2000 when I actually moved offices to a Remax out in Lapeer, Michigan. So about four years into your business is when you moved out to the rural area and, and things started to get kind of interesting out there. You start to get these referrals from the city agents that, that you had met and built relationships with, and they started to send you those referrals out to, as you said, the sticks. Yep. Yeah, so I moved about 45 minutes directly north of where I had started in the business. And I moved out to Remax office up there, and, and there were some great agents in the area. However, nobody was doing anything uh, you know, they didn't have the latest and greatest marketing techniques. Let's just put it that way. You know, where I had started in the business, I mean, we had the best of the best agents and I learned from them and I learned how to prospect and I learned how to send out postcards and just sold and how to door knock and, and all those things. They didn't have that where I moved to. So it was kind of a shock to the real estate world because here you got this new guy coming in and I'm doing all these things and I have these systems in place and I'm still fairly new in the business and I'm just a kid. I mean, at the time I was what, 22 years old and uh, and I was hungry and, and I was out working and, and you know, I was out working everybody for the most part. And, uh, you know, I wanted to make my mosque in the area and, and, uh, and I did. And uh, it didn't sit well with a lot of the good old boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to show some some change that happened over time. That very first year when you were working with your uncle, how many homes did you sell that first year? Do you remember? I don't. It was it was only a handful. You know, at the time, for the most part, I was just getting scraps. You know, the leftover calls, or you know, if they went out, if they went on vacation for a weekend, I'd be able to pick up the call and all that. Uh, you know, I was doing more more of an assistant role. And, and then every year after that, it, it kind of grew where I, I believe my second year in the business, I did 20 some transactions and, and then 50 some and, and so on. And it, it just continued to grow year after year after year until I hit my peak in, in 2009. How long have you been in the business now at this point? How long has it been? It's officially 20 years and five months, which seems unbelievable. How many homes did you sell last year? Two two hundred ninety seven homes last year. Do you know what the volume was on that? Eighteen point seven million. So my average sales price, because I do a lot of foreclosure work, my average sales price is very low. So we cover areas like City of Detroit, City of Flint, 
we do a lot of foreclosure work where you know I sell some houses for five and ten thousand dollars and I know a lot of your a lot of people listening to this call probably <laughs> you can't grasp the concept that you can buy a house for five grand um, but it literally in my my career i've I've sold everything from a, a dollar house uh, you know we've had some houses that we couldn't even give away in, in you know certain areas of Detroit and Flint to my, my biggest sale ever was a one point eight million dollar home so i've I've sold yeah, everything there is out there in the marketplace. From $1 to $1.8 million, that that's a pretty wide range. It sure is. I, it doesn't matter to me. I'll, I'll sell any house anywhere. I have to ask, I'm sure people are curious, what did the house look like that was $5,000? Is it even a, a building? What What is it? Well, the, the problem is that we have, in, in, you know, using Flint as an example, it's a depressed you know, urban community. And, you know, there's a lot of vacant homes. And the problem is, is that any time a property goes vacant uh, in the city of Flint, it, usually within days, it gets stripped out. So they strip out the copper, they take the furnace, anything that, that can be sold uh, you know, or scrapped, it, it gets stripped. And so those houses are really hard to resell because, you know, it's the only most aggressive landlords who buy those because they know it's hard to even put the house back together before you can rent it out to somebody. And, and most of them are bought by landlords and, and it, it's a, it's a never ending battle. I've been a, I've been a landlord in the city of Flint and, you know, we put a new kitchen in and we come back the next day to, to paint the house and now my kitchen's gone again. You know, it did, stuff disappears overnight. So, um, you know, they, some are pretty nice homes, you know, in the city of Detroit, there's some beautiful brick properties, but the problem is just keeping together, keeping them in one piece, you know, to move somebody in. Wow. Last year, you sold 297 homes, but that wasn't your best year. What year was your best year, and how many homes did you sell? 2009 uh, is when my transaction count peaked. Uh, I had a goal that year to sell 1,000 homes, and we actually sold 1,006. Um, that is me personally with my staff. That's not counting any buyer agent sales that I had or anything else. And, and for the majority of those, those were selling those were sold properties you know my listings that we had and i would say it's probably 99 percent of foreclosures you know during 2007 through about 2014 i actually uh turned away all of what i call the retail business so the regular folks moms and pops selling their properties uh during that time period i i strictly focused on foreclosures that's all i would do that's how, what our system was set up for. And, uh, we were one of the largest REO brokers in, in Metro Detroit. And so I had a, I had a huge staff that was working for me at the time, I had a couple of runners out on the streets. Um, it was, it was pure chaos, but we were selling a lot of properties. Those had to be some really crazy times. So you sold 1,006 homes. Do you remember the sales volume? It was right around 70 million. Do you recall your GCI? Uh, right around one point, I think it was one point eight, one point seven, and some change, you know, million. And I had a pretty hefty payroll to go along with that too. <laughs> so <laughs> it sounds real good, but that had to be some wild times because a thousand homes a year. You're talking maybe twenty sales a week on average. Yeah, we were getting, during the, the peak of the foreclosure market, we were getting between five and 10 new foreclosure assignments every day of the week, Monday through Friday. And the beauty of it was our bank clients, they didn't work weekends. 
so we would get properties every day, Monday through Friday, and we just had a great system in place. And, uh, you know, basically I set up an assembly line in my office, and every assistant that I had had a specific job and task, and that file would just move through our office uh, like an assembly line. How many people did you have working for you? At the peak, I had 17 employees. 17 people, and you closed up 1,000 transactions, 70 million in volume. Wow. Okay. And that happened for a few years there. And as you said, then you had some transition. And, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But just to wrap up this section, how many homes do you think you've now sold in your career? Over 4,000. We've, we've gone over the 4,000 mark. Do you have any estimate of what the sales volume is on that? I have no idea. <laughs> it, <laughs> okay. our, because of the change in, in our average sales price in Metro Detroit, it's, you know, sales volume has changed considerably because you know, back in 2005, 2006, you know, even 2007, even our foreclosure, our average sales price was a lot higher. I think my average sales price in those, those years were right around 110 and, uh, and then it drops. You know, as our market dropped, the average sales price dropped and so on. Uh, and it, and it's creeping back up now. So, you know, I expect not not 2016, but in 2017, our average sales price will be back up over 100000 because not only the foreclosures are going up, there's less low, low-end properties that we have, and uh, I'm doing a lot more what I call retail work now, too. So, Where is Lapeer, Michigan? We're about one hour north, directly north of Metro Detroit. And so I have my, my main hub in Lapeer. Uh, it's the community that I live in. It's the community that me and my wife are, are heavily a part of. But then I also have a secondary office, what I call my satellite office in Bloomfield Hills, which is about halfway between here and the city of Detroit. Uh, Bloomfield Hills is, is the heart or I guess the highest end area of Oakland County, which is the, the wealthiest county in, in the state of Michigan. And so that's where the majority of our foreclosure work is done in and around Oakland County. And so we service areas like Detroit, uh, you know, I've sold some nice houses in Bluefield Hills and, and some more of the suburb areas, such as Waterford and, and those areas around there. So, you know, there, when you get out to up here, there's not a lot of foreclosures. You know, there's not as, not as many houses, not as many people. Uh, but, you know, Metro Detroit still has some. You know, we went from getting five to ten new properties a day to, you know, we get about two to three on average weekly at this point. And, and it's, that's been pretty consistent over the last two years about our new incoming properties with the banks. You live in a satellite city outside of uh, the main metro Detroit area, but you saw this opportunity inside of the city. And so you set up a satellite office in Bloomfield Hills. And Bloomfield Hills, tell us about that office. Uh, is it a place you do a lot of work out of? Yeah. You know, I, I always start this conversation with saying that a good realtor can sell a house from anywhere. You know, if you, if you know how to market, you can sell a house. It doesn't matter where your location is. But clientele, it's important to them. So, you know, I, I have a, a beautiful house listed right now in Waterford on a lake. It's $1.3 million. They're not going to list with an agent that has an office in the pier because – where that property is located, it's it's kind of the heart of Oakland County, that, that Blizzard Hills area, Waterford area, they're close together. So, you know, it's important when I go there and I have my business card to say Blizzard Hills, it looks makes me look more prestigious. I'm not just a realtor from the sticks and up here. Um, and so my bank clients tell the same thing. Um, we do quite a bit of work out there. We have a lot of closings there, but you know, honestly, my the majority of my staff work out of my Lapeer office and 
you know, there's a couple of reasons for that. One, this is the, the community that we know and, and love, but uh, I don't know how to put this. It's not politically correct, but labor is cheaper here than in Bluefield Hills too. So I can afford to have better people at a, at a lower price in my Lapeer office than, than in my Bluefield Hills office. So you set up this satellite office, and my understanding is that you either don't have staff there or there's not a lot of staff there. It's kind of a place for you to go in and use the conference room and have a, a mailing address. Is that correct? Yeah, well, we actually share the office space with a with a healthcare provider. And so there's always a receptionist there Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, because we get agents that will drop off contracts or deposit checks or whatever it is. Um, but I personally don't have a staff member there, uh, you know, other than when, when needed that's allowed you to move into that market and interestingly work both the high end and the low end the high end these luxury homes and the low end being these REO properties with the banks and it gives you a presence in that market I think that was really smart Mm -hmm. do you have a a niche or a specialization in that market no I don't you know I I, the, the niche I had was REO and you can't you can't survive on that anymore and so I, I kind of opened myself up, and I'm doing about 50% right now is still REO work, and, and about another 50%. The other 50% is retail business, and so helping regular folks buy and sell houses. And um, I, I can't say that I have a niche right now. I'm very well-rounded, and I, I don't have a specific thing that I go after. And, uh, and I've, I've just left myself open opportunity at this point. Well, I want to talk about that transition that you're making from REO to retail. But before we do, you mentioned something interesting. You said that you can't survive currently on the REO business alone. And one of my questions was going to be, has, has the REO business dried up? But apparently you said you're still getting two to three REO pieces of work a week. If somebody had a really small office, a really small staff, could they service REO business and, and make a living, or, or is that market just gone? In certain markets, you can. The, the biggest issue with REO today is that the clientele, the blank, you know, my banks and the asset management companies and, and these different uh, you know, companies that we deal with, they have, have one, they have decreased commissions. And I, and I, I don't want to sound ungrateful at all. You know, if any of my clientele listens to this, this recording, I don't want to sound ungrateful at all because, you know, we've got clients that, you know, might send us 30 houses a year. You know, they were doing large volumes for them, but they expect us to do it at a lesser price for that. Um, but what, what they've also done is not only have they decreased commissions, that they've also increased uh, the amount of work that we have to do for them. So you know, we have clientele that require that we do weekly inspections and provide photos for them on a weekly basis. And in Michigan, I mean, I can get into this for you know another half hour, but in Michigan, we have a six-month redemption period. So a lot of times we have to babysit these houses for six months, then three months of redemption, and then you know three months of, of marketing and so on. So you know, I might have 52 inspections on a house that I make a commission on of $1,000. Yeah, so it, it's really tough you know, to, to make a good profit. Now, back in the, the good old days, uh, I made a lot of money. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It was good. The, the, mar- you know, the, the REO market did me really, really well. Um, that, you know, if I was a one-man show, yes, you could make a living doing it. But, you know, really, if you get into the foreclosure business, you're not just selling real estate. You're also a property manager. We're also responsible for 
you know, turning on utilities, making sure grass are cut. A lot of times we're general contractors or we're, uh, you know, getting bids for the clients and, and making sure that these contractors are doing the job. Um, you know, if, if these banks decide to rehab a house, we've got to make sure the contractors are not only doing the job, but the majority of the banks require us to pay them. So, and then get reimbursed for our money. So, you know, I've written checks for $40,000 rehabs and then we wait two to three months to reimburse for that. And, and so, you know, back in the heyday, it wouldn't be, I, I wouldn't be overstating it when I say that I had $200,000 out before the banks that I was waiting on reimbursement for. And, you know, that was a whole job that I had in itself of a, uh, I had a staff member. That's all her job was, is to pay bills and, and make sure we get reimbursed. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a huge number. And, uh, you know, most agents, especially newbies, they, you know, they're not going to be able to write $5,000 checks for cleaning out houses and things. So, um, yeah, if you're doing it on a small scale, you, you know, you can make it work. You, you better have a, a little bit of money in the bank to float, you know, these expenses that are required of us. And um, there, there is money there. It's not like it used to be. Let's put it that way. <laughs> You know, that's that's interesting, and people forget that you were the bank for the bank. You were putting money up for the bank on their behalf and then uh, and extending terms for them for one, two, or three months, and then they were eventually paying you back, and I assume with no interest. So it's no kind of interest. interesting how the banks were borrowing it's from you. <laughs> borrowing money for free, I, I, and, it, and it's no joke. I mean, we have some clients that it takes three to four months for us to get reimbursed for money, and so... Yeah, it, it's a crazy concept when I say, okay, I had to write a $30,000 check and you know, wait two months to get my money back. Sometimes it's after closing, so we just have to have a little bit of trust there. And uh, in the end, I made a $1,500 commission. You know, but I was their general contractor. I was their property manager. I was their realtor. You know, I wore a lot of different hats for them. And, and like I said, I'm very grateful. I, I've got great clientele, that, the bank clientele that I have. You know, I deal with Fannie Mae and I deal with HUD and, you know, many different asset management companies and Chase and, and all of them I've, I've dealt with over the past, uh, with the exception of Freddie Mac. It's the only account that I've never been able to get. And, um, you know, so I'm very grateful for it, but, you know, they, they do expect a lot out of us, and, and they have no problem just cleaning out of their system. You make a mistake, you're done, thanks, goodbye. It doesn't matter if you've done, you know, 50 great deals for them, you had one bad transaction, you know, I've, I've gotten fired before over silly things, and, they don't remember the hundred before. They just remember the one that you screwed up on. So it's uh, it's very cutthroat, but you know, like I said, it, it it served us well for many years. Well, Ray, I got to ask you a, an interesting business question here, since the ARIO market has really shrunk and the, it sounds like the profit is almost non-existent. Why do you continue to sell ARIO homes? And from a business perspective, why are you doing that? Well, sometimes I question that myself, <laughs> and I, I always come up with the same answer. So, you know, for the majority, it, it still makes us money. We have a pretty good system, and it, and it basically pays my office bills. I've got some great staff that have been with me for many, many years, and they're loyal. They've been good, and um, it continues to pay their salaries, and, and they do okay with it. I only spend, on average, about 30 minutes a day focusing on the foreclosure end of my business. So it, it, it takes very little attention at this point because I have the staff in place that know, know that world very, very well. And so, and then there's business that spurs off of it. So right now I've got a $525,000 REO that I'm, I'm double dipping. So when we have those higher end properties that we, 
you know, are, are not only making a listing commission, but also a selling, you know, buyer agent commission on it too. Now that's where the, the profit comes in. You know, that's going to be a nice paycheck once it gets to the closing table. So, you know, we do see a, for the most part, it's just paying the bills, but we get some deals off of it, but it also generates leads for my buyer agents in my office that I make some, some, you know, compensation from, um, and it's turned into other deals and it continues to get my name out there and my signs out there. Uh, you know, there were, you know, back in the heyday, I had a few hundred for sale signs out there, so it, it made quite a name for myself. But it also made it a little difficult for me to transition back to the retail business because a lot of people thought of me as the foreclosure king, as I became known as. And, you know, they didn't want my sign in front of their house because <laughs> they didn't want their neighbors to think that they were <laughs> really gotten foreclosed on. So that was one of the hurdles I had overcome getting back into the retail business. I assume that you're keeping that business running because maybe REOs come back if the economy slides and you're in position to capitalize on it. Yeah, it, it, ultimately, you're, you're absolutely right there. And I am, I am an optimist. I, I am an optimist you know, on my daily you know, work. But I don't think that the market that we're in is going to last very long. Um, I personally see, uh, along with many of my colleagues that have been in the area of business and many of the economists that you hear right now, saying it's coming back. It, you know, and it might not be next year. It might not be two years from now. But within the five, next five to ten years, we're going to see another area market. And uh, yeah, I, I believe uh, that we're getting right back to where we were in 2005. Uh, we're you know, houses are right now. They're great, and interest rates are great, and and payments are affordable. Um, but we're going to we're putting ourselves right back in the position where we were in 2005. So I think ultimately we're going to see another uh, another foreclosure market. We're going to see another recession, and I'll be there when that time comes because I keep those clients and and you know keep those clients happy even though there's not a lot of them. And honestly, I just need one more, and then I'm retiring. So. <laughs> it, it, it was it was pretty bad during the recession, and I I really tried to be as humble as I could. But the worse the economy got, the more money I made, and so that didn't make me the most popular guy around my friends and everything else. You know, as everybody's complaining about work and money and everything else, and my business is just going crazy. Um, but I I truly wish for one more recession because that's all I need, and I can I can retire. So. And in the meantime, now let's talk about the transition. Your REO business was slowing down. Revenues were slowing down. So you're just breaking even at best. You need to make money to live to continue to get to the next recession and you know build up another business or side of the business. So you're going back into retail, but you're known as the foreclosure king. How do you make the transition? Yeah, so it, it's kind of a funny story. but So we peaked in 2009. And you, we went from doing a thousand transactions to in, in 2010, I did uh, just under 800, and then there's 600 and, and so on. And so we st- we kept dropping, dropping, dropping. And we had a great system in place. And, and fortunately, as the economy came back, my staff shrunk, but my staff were they're great people. I, I really had the, you know, I yes, I did a lot of business, but it was also because I had some great, great employees. And so these employees were finding other opportunities in the marketplace because I couldn't pay them what, you know, they can now make it. They kind of got back. So it was nice. So I didn't have to fire people. I hate firing people, especially when they haven't done anything wrong, but the business strong, they found other opportunities. It was, it was great for both of us. 
Um, so then 2012 came around and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I got to do something. I'm, I'm only, I say I'm only doing 500 transactions a year. It was like I was working part time and uh, a lot of things happened even in my personal life at the point at that point, because, you know, during the, the peak of the foreclosure market, you know, I, I have four kids. I have a wonderful wife and I was just working, working nonstop all day, every day, late, early. And I, I missed a lot of things. And, uh, I was right around 2012 where a couple of things clicked. One, I didn't need to work as much, but I had a great staff and so on. Um, and then also my kids got to an age where they were, you know, nine, 10, 11 years old and they started playing sports and I started coaching and doing some things. And I, I truly had to fill up my time, which seems weird, but you know, I, like I said, I was only doing 500 transactions a year and with the staff I had, it was, it was still mostly REO, but I could do that with, you know, working 20 hours a week. And so, um, you know, I, I was looking for other avenues, other businesses. You know, like I said, we did well. I had a little bit of money on hand. Um, I started coaching. I coached a couple of soccer teams with my kids and just having a blast and uh, started being a better dad, a better husband. Uh, but also, I, I did a lot of things. My brother was in the REO business, too. Uh, I got him in it before the, the market tanked. And so we were both kind of in the same position. And we opened up a CrossFit gym. Uh, you know, we looked at opening up, you know, Subway or some different uh, things, but I, it kept coming back to when I looked at the numbers, uh, other than the CrossFit gym that we opened, which we shouldn't have, um, the, there's nothing that you could do where you can make more money with the time put in than selling real estate. When you look at all the different opportunities out there and you look at what it costs to open up a, a Jimmy John's or, uh, any other place like that, and the investment that it takes and the time that it takes, you know, if you put that same time and energy into real estate, you could do way better. And it, and it just kept hitting me. Like, I just got to get back into retail. I just got to get back into retail uh, because every other avenue I looked at, I'm like, you know, I was used to making really good money. And when I look at owning one of these other operations and making $120,000 a year, but it's a seven-day-a-week business, it, it didn't make sense to me. So, you know, we, I transitioned back into retail real estate and I got serious about it uh, early in 2015 after I kind of, you know, worked part-time for a couple of years. And so I transitioned back in and it was a tough transition because times have changed. People have changed. Technology has changed. I was used to dealing with uh, a business clientele. So it was all business, you know, the, whether it was pricing and, you know, how they handle offers and things to now sitting down across from, you know, a husband and wife saying, oh, my, my kids grew up in this house and we just put in this kitchen and it's worth this and we want it, we need to get this. You know, I was used to what's it going to take to get this house sold. And they might not agree with me, but it was all just a business decision to now having to deal with emotions again. And that was hard. That was, a, that was a hard change for me because I would go into people's houses like, this is what I can sell it for. They're like, well, yeah, but we raised our kids here and we really feel that we could get this for it. Well, I didn't understand feelings. I understand statistics. <laughs> and I'm like, no, the cops say this, you know? Uh, and uh, so I, I had to change my attitude a little bit, you know, which I did. And, and like I said, I had to overcome the biggest hurdle in the beginning. It's not anymore, but I was known as the foreclosure guy. And, and I actually had a couple of listings that I would take the listing and then the neighbors would be like, I didn't know you were going into foreclosure. I would talk to my seller and my seller would call me frantically saying, everybody thinks my house is in foreclosure. 
nothing says your house is in foreclosure. You know, I, I would just, I would show them the MLS and I show them what we're doing. I'm like, you know, I, I'm sorry I have that reputation, but I also can sell anybody's house. It doesn't matter if it's for a bank or for you or for my grandpa. You know, we can take care of you. It was interesting. You were this really hardcore statistic guy, and you had to go deal with emotions, and you had to develop or redevelop your empathy, your ability to feel what these people were feeling so that you could communicate with them on that level. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. And, and when it came to time, because with the bank clientele that I had, you know, again, for the most part, they were Monday through Friday. And, you know, we, I had some clients, that are, so I'm in Eastern time, so, you know, we had some California clients that, sure, they might call me at 7 or 8 o'clock at night, but it would be kind of rare. And, you know, but it was Monday through Friday, and I wasn't receiving texts at 10 o'clock at night asking me why their house isn't selling. You know, I was receiving emails, but I could respond to those in the morning. And so, you know, it was interesting that I transitioned back to retail, and I realized all, all of my fellow realtors and what they've gone through for the last few years, you know, with the change of technology, it seemed, I, I feel like I'm old. But, you know, a lot of things happened during that recession and technology improved and so on. It, it, it made realtors more accessible to their clients. But in, in my opinion, that also made their life a little more miserable. And, and so that's still a battle that I face today. Uh, you know, how, how do you handle that when uh, a seller texts you at, at 10 o'clock at night asking you a question? They know you receive that text. You know, in my opinion, I think extremely rude of the client to do that. But you know, we're, we're customer service oriented. So how do how do you do that? And so I'm I'm still trying to find that balance and seeing what's right, you know, or you know what's wrong with that. And and that that makes it tough. It makes it tough on family life, uh, you know, and and you know, because time is precious. And you know, I, I've learned that. I learned it the hard way during you know during the downturn. I just worked too much, and I like I said, I wasn't a great dad. I was always around and doing anything wrong. But I missed a lot of things because I was working and I chose, it was right around 2012, I chose to take a different route. And I'm, I'm a dad and I'm a, I'm a husband first and then everything else comes second. You talked about the text coming in at 10 o'clock at night. What do you do with it? Do you just ignore it till the next day? I do. Now, if I was a newbie in the business, I wouldn't recommend doing that. But, uh, you know, with the most of my clientele, I, I'm a little bit... I don't want to say arrogant, but I'm, I'm a little bit arrogant, I guess. You know, I, I know what I do works. I know what I do sells houses. I've got the track record to prove it. Um, so I don't respond until the next morning. Now, I might respond at 7 o'clock in the morning and maybe wake them up out of bed because that's when I'm at the office. But if they're texting me at 10 o'clock at night, is you know, I feel I can I have the right to text them back at 7 o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, so, so I don't personally – I, I don't do it. Now, if I was a newbie in the business and I'm trying to make a name for myself, yeah, you have to be accessible. Um, I personally do it where I, I explain to my clients and they know. And a lot of my, my current retail clientele, they know me. I'm a very personal person. I talk about my kids. I talk about my wife. I talk about my hobby of coaching soccer with my kids. And, and so they know. You know, Tuesdays and Thursdays, between 5 and 9 p.m., you're not going to be able to get a hold of me. I'm on the soccer field coaching. You know, Sorry, <laughs> you know, that comes before anybody else. Um, you know, so I, I just kind of built that into, that's who I am. And if they don't like it, uh, again, it might sound arrogant, but I don't need them. It sounds like you're communicating that to them after they hire you, that there are certain time blocks that you're not available. 
interestingly, I just received an email from an agent and she had office hours and availability hours listed at the bottom of her email where it was blocked out for the weekend as an example, where she was not going to be available except for say two hour blocks. Have you done something like that? I haven't done that specifically. Um, but with my timing and, and like I said, a lot of my clients, because I'm a very personal person, you know, we, I talk about kids, I talk, talk about things, you know, I look at my schedule and, and it, it's currently September. I don't have a free weekend until the third week in November. And between now and then, I mean, I've got, I think, 50-some soccer games between my four kids. So that, that comes first. Now, do I fit stuff in? Absolutely. You know, if I can do it, you know, we've got a soccer game at noon and then not another one till 6, and I've got a two-hour block I can run and two, show two houses, I'll do it. No problem. I'll make it happen. I'll, I'll work around people's schedule. But they also have to be considerate of mine. And, uh, you know, fortunately, I've been in the business long enough, um, you know, we've We've done well, and if if they don't like it, they can go someplace else. I'm okay with that. You know, I, I I've turned clients away if, if they're that demanding of my time, but they the clients also realize that if they work with me, things are going to go right. <laughs> so again, it, it's a little bit bold, you know. But if if you want me to represent you, whether you're a seller or a buyer, then you also have to work with me and my schedule, and, and that's just how it is. A lot of agents solve this by hiring. They leverage through people. They bring in, say, a buyer agent to run those buyers around, freeing up their time. And then the buyer agent is dealing with those those time issues and, say, trying to shift their available time or open time to the weekend and then take their time off during the week. That is a solution. But I'm going to jump ahead real quick. You do have buyer agents running around for you, but it sounds like you're also doing buyers. You did three, almost 300 transactions last year, half REO, but half were retail. Those half that were retail, is that you or is that you and some buyer agents? That That's just me on the retail side. Um, so, you know, not only taking listings, I do, you know, deal with buyers. And then I, I have... Um, other new agents that will help me, uh, you know, just as an example, it's just earlier this week, I've got a brand new agent that came in and I'm training with a young guy. He's going to do fantastic in this business and I'm working with him to, to help him, you know, get established. And I had a client who wanted to see a house. It was Tuesday at four o'clock, which that's my soccer time. And so, you know, he ran and showed him three houses and the, that buyer wanted to write it. So we figure out time my schedule to, to go back out. I did see the house. I, you know, it, it, I find it hard. I, I'm a very hands-on person. And so, you know, delegating other things like seeing the property myself, I want to see it. If I'm going to negotiate a contract and I'm trying to negotiate specifically because that house needs repairs, you know, I try to get in there myself. Even if I've got to preview it when the agent, when the client's not uh, available, I'll go look at it because I'm negotiating the contract and I need to know what I'm negotiating here. Um, so I'm very hands-on when it comes to that. But I do utilize, you know, staff time. And some of my buyer agents, time and my my agents in my office, they're great, and I compensate them well for doing it. If I if I have a client that can only do something at a certain time, I if I can't do it, I will make accommodations, and they know that even though that you know my buyer agent might be showing them a house if they like it, I'm going to be stepping in when it comes time to write that contract. And, and so my buyer agents, they work a little bit differently. When I call my buyer agents for the most part, all I'm doing is feeding them leads and that's their own business. They, I don't take credit for what they do. You know, they have their own book of business also, but I am feeding them leads. 
Uh, one of the things that I've, I've always been good at, you know, since I've started in this business is generating leads and, and making the phone ring. Um, I'm not real good at all the details, uh, you know, it, it, but I'm very good at making the phone ring. And, you know, that, that's my, that, that's what I do. One other thing I have here in this section, you mentioned that the transition was difficult because when your sign goes in the yard, the neighbors think it's a foreclosure property. Did you ever consider creating a separate division with, say, a separate name, a different kind of sign, different colors, different sizes, something that would distinguish it from your REO sales? We did a little bit there. That's a great question. So I did have new nicer signs made up. We're realty executives, so we're limited. You know, we've got to use the realty executives logo and colors and so on. So we're a little bit limited what we can do as far as signage goes. But I bought a little bit nicer sign, different phone number. Um, I I owned a few different websites or domain names uh, that have nothing to do with foreclosures, and so you know I have those on the sign. So it, it you know nothing references foreclosures whatsoever. And then, you know, on my Facebook, I do a lot of Facebook marketing. I've gotten rid of, you know, even mentioning anything about any foreclosure. So even if I, I post a, a foreclosure house on my Facebook, I don't mention anything of foreclosure uh, about it. So, you know, what I've done is I've really just eliminated it uh, from my marketing. Even as far as my, my email that I used for many, many years was ray at michiganario.com. You know, when I made the switch over retail, I got rid of that REO because that's, you know, the slang for foreclosure. So I've, you know, now it's just Ray at McGeeTeam.com. So I, you know, what I've done just on my day-to-day basis, you know, I've, I've just gotten rid of it. And so, yes, I have, and if anybody mentions it, yes, I have a, a foreclosure division. Uh, you know, I've got some great staff members. I spend about 30 minutes a day taking care of that business. The remainder of it, I, I take care of my retail business. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Now, you mentioned that you have learned how to generate leads and you've been handing them off. I assume you screen them, maybe take some, and then hand off the excess to some buyer agents or other folks. Let's talk about how you're generating some of those leads. Are you generating leads on Facebook? And if so, how? Yeah, I I love Facebook. And and that was one of the things that I dove into just head on when I got into the retail business and, and I learned and listened to webinars and things and, and the majority of agents are doing it all wrong. Uh, Facebook, what I learned, and again, it was a learning process. I didn't know this and you know, nobody knows anything up front, but Facebook knows everything about every user on there. They know your credit score. They know if you own a house or not. They, they know everything. They know your likes, your interests and so on. Um, you know, what your fi- family you know dynamics are and so on. So, what what I do is if you know, for each of our properties when we when we list a house I take a look at where is my buyer pool what type of buyer is going to buy this is it is it a ranch on a golf course okay well I'm I'm looking specifically for retirees or uh, you know is it a family home in a neighborhood and I know that somebody with kids is going to buy this house and so you know you can you can boost posts on Facebook and get get in front of very specific demographics. Uh, you know, that match what the buyer pool is for that home. 
and, and you know, most agents, though, if if they list a house, they'll put it on their personal Facebook page, which is just awful. Your your friends don't want to you know continue to see your listings or anything like that. You know, don't badger them with that stuff. You know, but use your business page and get in front of the potential clients that you're looking for. And so, you know, we're growing that. I'm learning every day on it. But, you know, when I, I laugh when I look at an agent's business page and they have 100 likes on their page and, and maybe they post something every day, but you'll see they get one or two likes on, on a listing, you know, and where mine will have 300 likes or, uh, you know, it'll have 67 comments. And, um, you know, we do that because we boost. We understand what our market is, what our market is who we're going after, and every single one of them. So we have a ton of activity. And, you know, what I want to be known as the Facebook realtor. And, and so, you know, it's not my personal page, not my personal stuff getting in front of these people, in front of my community. I'm, I'm seeking out specific demographics that that listing is, you know, good for. Oh, very good. You're doing this on a business page. I'm going to ask a second question here. Realty executives, do you run that office? Are you the managing broker there? Do you own it? Yes, I am. Okay, so when you do these postings, are you doing them under Realty Executives or are you doing a separate business page under your name or your team name? It's under my name personally, separate business page under my name personally. Okay, so you're using your personal name, but it's a business page. That way you can market and promote. You're doing these boosted pages. What do those ads look like? Are they just kind of like an MLS listing and then they just say, hey, contact me? Where are you sending those people if they're interested? Are you just stirring up interest or are you bringing those leads into a certain way, into a, say, a quote funnel of some type? The way that we're doing it right now is that I don't like any link that's going to take them away from my Facebook page. So I, I see a lot of agents will put on there a link to the MLS and so on, but that takes them away from your page. They're gone. Okay, as soon as they click that link, they're gone. So what I do is I do a simple post with four photos that shows up real nice. And, and every one of them I end with, you know, private message me for more info. And so what we see on there is that you'll, and you know, if anybody visits my Facebook page, you'll see on there that, and I don't even know why people do it. It's not something I would do, but constantly friends are referring friends or tagging their friends in a post. And so, you know, each of those people are looking for a house. You, you just have to assume that, that they're in the market to buy a house and you will see this happen, you know, 40, 50, 60 times on, on our properties. And so, you know, we've sold houses specifically through our Facebook page. Uh, a couple of them were people not even in the marketplace, but this just kind of came across, caught their interest, and, you know, they contacted us. Um, I've grabbed people out of other areas. I, I use an example of a house that I had. It was kind of on a canal with some wooded acreage. and But we picked up a buyer who was only looking on these all-sports lakes in a different area, but because of this Facebook boost got in front of him, he contacted me about it because he likes to hunt, he likes to fish. He gets the best of both worlds. And he wasn't even looking in that specific area for the property. You had never bought it if it wasn't for that specific Facebook post. So you're using your Facebook posts and boosts to find buyers for your listings. Yes, that. And also what you can do is there's other things that, uh, and this is what I'm, I'm right now putting in a place with my buyer agents and, and a system in place to follow up these leads. But you can, you can run ads, you know, same thing, boosted posts, but then you can actually run ads on the backside, which is a lot more in detail, uh, and, and focus on specific criteria. So let's say you want to go after, 
uh, buyers. Well, I can say, hey, I want this advertisement to get in front of people who have a credit score higher than 620, but also are renting a home. And, and then it'll, you know, it'll, however much money you want to spend, whether it's $10 or a thousand dollars, you know, it'll get in front of those, that specific criteria. And obviously you want to have an ad that focuses on, you know, how you can buy a house for three and a half percent out of your pocket or in the rural area that we have a, what's called a rural development loan, zero down home loan for credit scores over 620. Um, you know, and you can get in front of renters. What, what better way to do that? I, I used to send out 10,000 postcards a month back when I was early in the business to get two rental homes all through Metro Detroit, you know, and having testimonials about people buying a house with, with little out of pocket. You know, now I can, that used to cost me a few thousand dollars a month. You know, I can do the same thing for a few hundred bucks in Facebook. So Facebook is this great medium. You're really not changing the advertisement that you're doing. You're probably doing a very similar ad in its structure and format to what you were sending out in the postcard. The difference is the medium is electronic. You can send it out quickly. And more importantly, you can target exactly the type of people that you wanted to get that message in front of. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's pennies as far as cost-wise goes. You know, I can get in front of, 20,000 people for a hundred bucks. You know, that that's cheap. <laughs> it's a lot cheaper than those postcards. Yes. Ray, I also understand that you're doing something with you, something you called listing telemarketing service. What is that? About a year ago, I had a company approach me, uh, that they specific telemarket, uh, for sale by owners and expires. And their job is to, to get listings. Or, or to get, and I'm sorry, not get listings, but to actually get us an appointment. And uh, I was very skeptical at first. They gave me a bunch of referrals. This is, a, like I said, it was about a year ago. So it was just as I was, you know, picking up the retail business and I was trying to grow my listing inventory on the retail side and so on. And it's a company that, that I pay that three hours a day, they've got somebody on a phone that's calling lists of for sale by owners and expireds and withdrawns and things. And uh, I've been doing it since, uh, I'm almost at a year. I think it was October and November of last year when I committed to it. It's not cheap. It, it's expensive. It's $1,500 a month. And they guarantee that they'll call three hours a day for us. And they guaranteed a hundred appointments over a year and that they would schedule. And so they literally call and they have my schedule on, on uh, my, my Google calendar. And they literally set an appointment for me for a listing interview. And some are for sale by owners, you know, like I said, some are expired, some old expired. You know, they go back a couple of years and, and try to contact those homeowners. And it, it's been very good. You know, I, I've had, I've referred other agents to the company that haven't had success. I, a few of them have. Um, I've done very, very well with it. Now, not every, not every appointment's great. You know, they're still for sale by owners, so you still have to overcome those obstacles. You know, they're still expired, so a lot of them are overpriced. And, and you know, they're not lay me down, you know, come list me and sell me real fast, but it's been a great opportunity to get in front of people. And I, I, I've done real well with it. I've got a handful of sales. In fact, my biggest listing right now, at, at, which is 1.3 million came from an appointment they set for me. And, uh, it, it's been good. Again, it's, it's expensive. Uh, yeah, I know there's a couple companies out there doing it. This one uh, from checking around seems to have the best reputation but uh, it, it's a great service, something I, I didn't even know about until they called me. What's the name of the service? Uh, that I'd rather not give out. This service that you're using, 
tell us more about the results. So are, are they setting eight appointments per month? Yes. Yeah. In fact, in the, very early on, it was even more than that. And I don't know if they were just trying to wow me to get my business. Um, but in the beginning, it was, it was hard to keep up with. It was about four per week that they were setting up. And, um, you know, it, again, because you realize this is right in my transition time as I'm going in, all of a sudden I'm getting four potential listing appointments a week. I didn't even know what to do. You know, honestly, I, I, you know, the CMAs, I, I was used to doing BPOs for the bank. So, you know, creating market analysis and, you know, I didn't have a, a fancy binder or anything that talks about what I do as far as listing houses, you know, so <laughs> it was really interesting. I had to get real sharp real quick. And, uh, you know, I went on some, the first couple didn't go so well and it wasn't their fault. I mean, they got me the appointment. It was my fault. And, uh, but you know, I listed a house within two weeks with them. Uh, it was a expired from two years ago. We priced it at the same price they were asking for two years ago, but the market finally caught up. We sold it in just a couple of days. I looked like a superstar because the last realtor, uh, you know, couldn't sell it. And we priced it the same thing again, two years later. And, uh, we sold it real fast. I have two other pending sales right now with them uh, that are both right around the 150,000 range. I've got a you know a house over a million dollars. I also have, um, I would say, close to somewhere in the 12 to 15 potential listings that I've met. People weren't quite ready. That I feel that within the next year that I'll end up listing those properties. So you know, like I said, it's overall it's been real good. Uh, I've been real happy with the service and. Um, you know, I've been stood up on appointments. You know, nothing's perfect. I mean, a lot of the complaints I see about these telemarketing companies is that, you know, the appointments aren't good or the people don't know why you're coming out and so on. But it, it's not going to be perfect. But if they guarantee you for, for $18,000, you know, for you know $1,500 a month for 12 months, $18,000, they guarantee you you're going to get in front of 100 potential sellers. If you can't make $18,000 back in commission when they've gotten you in front of 100 sellers, you're in the wrong business. It's, it's $180 an appointment. How long have you been doing this? Since I think it was October of last year. I'm almost on my one-year mark. And have you gone on 100 appointments in the one year? I would say I, I haven't kept track, but I'm, I'm certain that I have. Have you received your money back? Have you earned your 18,000 back? Yes. Yes, I have. And how many listings have come out of that? And how many listings have you sold in that year? I know of three actual sales. I've got two pending, one currently active. And like I said, I've got a, a good another dozen that I, I can actually, I don't want to say guarantee, but I've got a good dozen that, you know, should also be listed in the next year. So they've helped me kind of build, you know, that, that clientele up. So it looks like you have maybe six listings that have actually happened, three have sold, two under, one active, and then 12 more in the pipeline that, that have potential. Yep. And then, there, you know, like I said, there's, there's been some that I go out and I, I'm kind of picky when it comes to my listings. I, I'm not going to just list a house if I don't think I can sell it. So there were actually some business that I, I turned down. And I just, I told the sellers, you know, that I, I couldn't help them out because they were just unrealistic. They were over mortgage, you know, whatever it is. So, I mean, I, I could have gotten quite a few more listings that it would have been a waste of my time. Sure. I could have picked up other buyers from them, you know, for sign calls and things, but that's, I, I do this 
to list houses and sell them. So I, I won't ever take a listing that I that I don't feel that I, I couldn't sell. I'm kind of looking at that. It's 18 grand a year. It's been about a year. You've had six pieces of business, so about 3,000 per actual piece of business. You have these 12 other potentials, which is interesting. Six and 12 is 18. It sounds like you're working out all the kinks and it looks like it has potential and it's a way to bring in some business that you don't have to go out there and prospect for. That's correct. They're doing it for me. There, there's no way in the world I would spend three hours a day calling for sale by owners and expireds. I'll have to do a catch-up call with you uh, down the road and see what happens in the future with this program. Thank you very much for letting us know about it. You also are generating leads from uh, Zillow and Trulia. Tell us what you're doing there. Yeah, so there I, I just, I'm premier agents on both, so I pay the extra money to have my name person on my listings. And I'm not a fan of Zillow, Trulia, or Realtor.com. In fact, I, I think least of Realtor.com because of what they charge us to put our names on our own listings. So, you know, but we do generate a ton of leads through Zillow and Trulia. Uh, just being a premier agent, I buy one zip code, the zip code I'm, I'm most active in as far as um, what we do in the community. And so, you know, we get a lot of a lot of leads from there. Zillow also, with their feedback as far as what they put on the agent, um, I think they call it agent profile, you know, it shows on there that I have 300 sales in the last year. So I actually get a lot of what I call come list me calls from Zillow because it shows I sell more houses than anybody else in the area. And so, you know, those sellers will, will seek me out because, hey, I, I must be doing something right if I've sold that many houses. And so that, that's been a good lead source for me. Uh, as far as as far as that goes, and and it kind of goes back to the same thing on on Zillow. You know, I've gotten rid of everything that has to do with foreclosure. You know, it's not good for my retail business that I use that solely for retail leads, and so I've gotten rid of that. And then what I do with all the the incoming um, leads for the most part, I'll just forward those to to my buyer agents. You know, if they're inquiring on a property that's not one of my own listings, I'll normally just refer those out to the other agents that I have in the office. You're getting some business now from your past clients, sphere of influence, repeating referrals, even though you kind of let that business go aside so you could focus on the, the heyday of the REOs, you're bringing that back in. It was about 20% of your business last year. So we're talking about maybe uh, 60 closings or so. Could you tell us what you're doing with past clients and sphere of influence? And in particular, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. How big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? This is probably not something you hear from a top producing agent, as you guys call us. Um, I don't have a database at this point in time. Um, I I do a ton of promotion, like I said, through Facebook, through my business end of it. And I trickle that in because I had to. Um, about every three to four weeks, I'll take and share something on my business page, on my personal page. Uh, we're heavily involved in the community. And that's something that I think every realtor should be involved in, whether it's with their church or, you know, like I said, we're, we're involved with our church. We're involved heavily into all the travel soccer in the area. So, you know, those parents see me, they know me, you know, the church we're involved in, do the kids' church and so on, um, you know, with kids in school and so on. You know, we're just active. We're active in our community. People see us. And so that's where it's come from. The, the repeat and referral business, though, the people around me now know that I'm back into helping regular folks. And that was tough, you know, during the, during the recession, during the downtime, I referred a ton of business to the other agents in my office, you know, other, 
other agents who were still, you know, listing retail business and so on, you know, during the recession. And, you know, even good friends and family members, I would refer them out to agents in my office. And so I've had to pull some of those people back in like, Hey, I know I referred you to this person five years ago, but I'm back in the business now. So if you're going to be selling your house, give me a call. You don't have to call that person. Um, so that's been good, but it, it's really just because we're active. We're active in the community. I say we, me, my wife, um, but it, you know, I'm active in the community and, and you know, people see that and we're nice to people, you know, there's something about this in the key to success in real estate. In my opinion, it's to answer the phone and answer the phone with a smile. You know, people want to talk to people that they enjoy. <laughs> and so if you want to be successful, number one, answer your phone. Nobody likes talking to voicemail in today's day and age. They want information. Now, if you don't answer your phone, they're calling somebody else next. So you probably miss that person. And you know, when you answer the phone, be nice to people. I, I, I can't tell you how many people feel insulted by realtors that, you know, they called on a house and the agent is so focused on it's buyer qualified, you know, nothing about the people personally. They're not asking personal questions. They're like, have you been pre-approved? How much can you afford? Nobody wants to talk about that. They want to know about the house. Does, does the house fit their family needs? Is the house in an area that is a, a good commute to their work? You know, so just answer the phone and be nice to people. It's not really that hard. This is interesting. You don't have a, a formal database then or a formal marketing plan. These pieces of business are just floating in, so to speak, through your network and your sphere and being out in the community and making sure people know that you're selling real estate. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. So that's obviously one of the things as I'm putting my retail business back together that's one of the things that is top on my list is to put that database back together to, you know, get my, my quarterly mailings out and my Christmas cards and all those other things that I should be doing. I'm not saying that, you know, you shouldn't be doing it because absolutely that, that's a, that's a key thing. But with Facebook and, and the amount of people that are on Facebook and our sphere that's on Facebook, you can, it's not as necessary as it used to be. It's much easier to stay in contact today with people than it ever has been. You know, and, and you don't have to spend all that money on mailing. I, you know, back in the day, we used to mail monthly newsletters to, to folks. You know, that, that gets expensive, printing, stamping, you know, all that stuff where you, you could do that for Facebook for free. You know, and so, you know, there's ways to do it. Yes, absolutely, everybody should, everybody should have a database and you should be reaching out to those people. But you you can also utilize the other tools to do that. Sounds like your database may be inside of Facebook, in your uh, friends list, uh, your connections in there. Are you spending a certain amount of time in Facebook either each day or each week staying in touch with and contacting those people? I wouldn't say reaching out and contacting, but, but yes, yeah, staying in front of them. So, you know, in my local community, it was where I list a lot of my retail properties and those people are constantly seeing my business ads because of the amount of money that we spend boosting our properties. And a lot of our friends and a lot of my sphere of influence matches the demographics for the houses that we are selling. So we're constantly staying in front of them. Um, but I personally don't have the time to reach out to those contacts and, and to, to make the calls. But, you know, I can guarantee you that I'm, 
you know, standing on the sidelines at a soccer field and if a parent comes up and talks to me, you know, many times the, the conversation leads back towards real estate. Oh, I see, saw your sign there, or what is, what's my neighbor's house selling for, or whatever it is. So, it, you know, it, it's constantly staying in contact and reminding the people around you that, hey, I'm in the business. I'm in, I'm in the housing business. What can I do for you? Let me ask a question about those. If we go back to the recession times, you have all this business coming in. You're working with the banks. That's your client. But you have all these buyers that are coming in on the other side. Did you do anything to pick up those people and turn them into your clients? Uh, some people call those orphan or co-op folks. Did you, did you try to bring them into your sphere? I did not. So we, we had, when we were doing that business, uh, in the heyday of, of the foreclosure world, we were running fast and furious. And so at one time, I had 11 different agents taking calls on our incoming listings. We had a few hundred signs out there through all the Zillow and Truly and all that. And I actually had one gal that that's her job was to answer the phone with a smile you know, during normal business hours and then distribute those calls because I had each agent kind of covering a geographic location. So we kept them in certain areas. And, and so we were, we were pushing those out and it was just, I, I say it was fast and furious as, as fast as we could go. And my buyer agents were spoiled at the time. I and mean, basically they were running out, just showing the houses that we had. And for the most part, if that buyer didn't buy that house, they showed them, they probably never talked again because they couldn't even keep up with the amount of calls that we had coming in. And, and so we, we neglected a lot of that. And like I said, I neglected my retail business. So it made it a little bit harder to, to transition back into retail. Um, but the one thing that I have done that has helped me in the past 18 months is that I have reached out by via letter uh, to the entire county that I'm in, Lapeer County, for everybody who bought a house. I've, I built a database. Uh, everybody who bought a house between 2009 and through 2011, or I'm sorry, 2008 through 2011, that was the bottom of our recession. And that's where prices were the lowest. And so every quarter I send out a letter to those, it's close to 2,500 people in that database. And we mail out a letter just saying, hey, you made a great investment. We know those people have equity. Yeah, they have a lot of equity in their houses, and they are from 2009 till today. The majority of houses have increased 100%. So we've you know did snail mail back to those people who bought during that downturn, and and usually I'll get about two listings, two actual listings per mailing. Um, so it you know the mailing costs me right around by the time I have payroll and stamps and everything else, uh, it, it's right around two thousand dollars. And I'll usually make between six and eight thousand dollars in commission uh, on that every quarter. You know, gain two listings from it. And so, you know, we reach out, we mail a letter saying, "Hey, you made a great investment in when you bought your house during the recession. You know, house sales have, have haven't been higher since 2005. If you have any thought to moving, give us a call. We'd be happy to give you a free market analysis. And that's that's been a pretty good uh, deal for us as far as generating new listings from that. Um, because again, we we pick a specific demographic, and I want to focus on the people who have equity in their house, and those people do. Wow, that's a great idea. What a great idea! So you're going back, and you you like targeting. So you found a a group of people who appear to have a lot of equity. They bought at the low end of the market. 
things have really gone up. They, they you assume they have a lot of equity, and uh, probably do. And you're getting back in front of them with an offer for a market analysis. Let them know the values have gone up. They can find out what their value is today. Very smart. Very smart. It seems like it's paying off. You're doing that quarterly, and it's paying off. Why didn't you send it out monthly and increase the revenue? Too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's about two grand, and and I, I put my kids to work on it, so it takes them about a month to get through between all the sports and everything they do. I pay my kids five dollars an hour, and they do all the stamping and labeling and all that. And it takes uh, I'll bring home all the all you know the printed paper and, and envelopes and everything else, and it takes them about a month to work through you know putting all those letters together and get ready to get sent out. So. Um, you know, it, it's just been a thing that we've, I've done consistently for, you know, I think we're on our sixth run now. We've been doing it for about 18 months and it, it's just something different that we do. And, and again, knowing that those people have equity, you know, I'm not fighting over commissions or anything like that. You know, they, they're not over mortgage normally, unless they've done equity loans or refinance since then. Um, but it, it's a great group of people that we've been successful at. And, um, many of those, I actually, I wasn't the buyer agent on, but a lot of those, I was actually the listing agent on when they sold the house. So it's, it's always good. I get back in front of, Oh yeah, I remember this house, you know, they, the, the, the house had been stripped out or this carpet was terrible or whatever it is. And, and I can, uh, not that I remember the house, I have to go back in and look at my pictures because we were selling so many back then, but, uh, you know, I've got information. So I, I've, I've resold many of the houses that I actually sold as foreclosures now as, as retail, uh, listings, you know, a few years later here. I have one thought, and I can't help myself. I got to put it out there. If the recession comes back and you get into crazy rocking mode on the REOs, I just highly recommend that you pick up those co-op buyers on the other side, put them in a database, touch, keep touch with them, make them your own. By the time you come out of the recession on the other side, not only will have you made money in the recession, you'll have a huge database that you can either work or sell uh, as another asset. Yeah. You know, I, I've done a lot of things and I've ran a lot of businesses and I've had a lot of successes and I've had even more failures. And so, you know, I look at everything that I do and, and you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, there are many things that I should have done differently, you know, during that time. And, um, you know, if the recession comes back, we'll do it differently. Um, you know, it, it, I'll handle my finances differently. I'll handle my time differently. Um, you know, you learn. It's just all part of, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur and, and, you know, looking at business and how it works and, um, you know, I've learned more in the businesses that I've had fail than the businesses that I've had succeed. And even in the successes, I can look and say, we could have done this better, or I could have done this better, or I should have made this decision differently. And, it, you know, it's just part of growth and, and part of being in business. Uh, Ray, I totally agree. Very wise statement. And obviously, you did a phenomenal job keeping up with the crazy flow. I was just making a recommendation on how you could capitalize on it even more next time. Oh, absolutely. It, well, and, and, you know, if I, if it happens next time, I won't give up the retail business. It was too hard to get back into it. So, you know, there's no reason I can't keep doing the, the, what I'm doing right now is to continue to service retail and to continue to service REO. Um, you know, with the right people in place and hiring the right staff, you know, I, I wouldn't do that again. It, you know, like I said, I, I had a great book of business before the recession and most of those people are gone. You know, they're not thinking about me because they haven't heard from me in 15 years. So, um, yeah, there's, there's always ways that we can do things better and we will.
<laughs> I'm sure you will. You're a sharp guy. Well, well Ray, let's do this. Let's uh, transition and talk about your team for a bit. You built up a team, you, you grew up big, you shrunk it back down, things change over time. But today, in the last year, you sold 297 homes. Could you describe the people on your team? Sure. Uh, I'm In my REO division, I, I have four staff members at this point. So I have uh, my number one, uh, she takes care of my offers and clothing. So basically everything from contract to close, uh, you know, she takes care of that. She's been with me since 1999. She's my longest running, um, employee. She's been with me 17 years and, um, you know, she takes care of everything and then she manages the rest. So she kind of has the oversight of everything and, and our other employees go to her first before they come to me. And, uh, yeah, I couldn't do, do it without her. So I, I call her my, my clothing coordinator, but she has many different uh, job duties under that. I, I've got another person that, uh, is basically administrative in that. And so she does all the research as far as calling townships and getting square footage and your built and lot size and, and all that information and, and setting up the files, getting the houses listed. Um, so basically everything from what we call initial assignment to the time of contract. So that that's her job in that space. I've got another person who's also my office manager here. She's the, the realty executive office manager, but she also runs all of my billing. And so we still have those bills that we pay for you know, the banks, you know, their electric and gas and, and uh, construction and everything else. So she's responsible for writing checks and making sure we're getting reimbursed. And then I have a, a full-time runner where basically we provide a list to them every day that we need you, know, you to stop at these 10 properties and get inspection photos or make sure this lockbox works or uh, get photos for a broker price opinion or you know, drop these contracts off, whatever it is, you know, he, he does, he's out on the road. And so I pay him hourly and he drives a company car on my gas and, and uh, he's just always on the road, you know, 200 miles a day or whatever it is. Um, so that's my four staff members under there. Um, I just hired a, a brand new, what I call executive admin who's helping me out on my, my retail side. Um, well, I've had a staff member. We, we just kind of switched one out. Um, I had one that was helping me, uh, and she left for another position, but I just hired another one. And so she is going to help me with, you know, continue to, to keep up with Facebook and, you know, listings and so on. And I, and I plan on adding on to my retail business right now. I'm doing most of it, which is too much. And I can't keep doing what I'm doing and, and have the free time that I want. So that will continue to grow as that income continues to grow. And, um, other than that, we have uh, a front desk receptionist, and thankfully, because uh, I run the office, that I fill her time up with other tasks that need to be done <laughs> and, uh, in in my business and around my business. And uh, so that that's pretty much it. And then, like I said, I have four agents who are independent agents, but I feed them a lot of leads. You know, all the overflow go to them, and I I kind of cherry pick. You know, I have my personal clientele that comes to me, and then. Yeah, I'll take some calls on some of the nicer properties and pick up nicer, nicer buyers. At. Um, honestly, I'm not going to run around unless they're a good friend of mine or a good referral. I'm not going to run around buyers who are looking for eighty thousand dollar houses. Now, if they're looking for one hundred fifty thousand dollar houses, I'll run them around. Um, so I, I'm kind of picky when it comes to that. And I'll refer the lower end buyers to you know, other agents in my office who have more time than I do. Could you? describe your arrangement that you've made with the four buyer agents. What do they do? What do you do? What's the compensation? How does it all work? 
So what I do with them for the most part uh, is that if they run out and show one of my listings, I'm, I'm kind of greedy. So if they show one of my listings and they sell it, I get 60%, they get 40. Uh, I, 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 I'm not trying to be keen or anything, but basically at that point, they're just a door opener. They went out, they've met the client at the house, they opened the door and now the people want to buy it. But if they take that buyer and they sell them something else other than one of my listings, they get 60, we get 40. What I want to do, I wanted to, I want to incentivize those agents to do something with the leads. I want them to make more money if they work harder. And so that gives them more opportunity. Now I cover all of their expenses. I pay their MLS dues. I pay the realtor dues. You know, they have a desk, they have a phone. You know, the only expenses they have is, is their laptop, you know, their cell phone bill and their gas. Other than that, I cover all the office expenses, all the office fees, uh, you know, anything to do with their real estate business. I provide them signs if they have their own listings and so on. So I cover, I mean, the commission split is not great, but I also cover their, a lot of their expenses. And uh, it's worked out well, and they're happy because they're not worrying about their phone ringing. I'm, I'm making that happen for them. I'm trying to understand. You said these are independent agents. They're running around doing their own business in addition to yours, and your only connection are these leads that you're handing them. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, because your arrangement sounds very similar to a typical buyer agent on a team, and I'm trying to understand the difference. I guess the, the difference is that they're also able to do other business on the side that you have no connection to and they can earn income on? Yeah, I, I don't, I try not to, a lot of what I call team leaders, they're, uh, they're more like bosses. I'm not their boss. So, you know, they can do their own business. So if they have their own referral, I'm not requiring them to put, if they get a listing, it's not the rain and McGee sign that goes up in front of the house. It's, it's their sign. It's their business. And so, you know, I'm just helping them grow their business. And, and many of them, you know, transition from what they are now. And, and yeah, we do have a, a very uh, similar arrangement to most teams, buyer agents, and so on. But I, I want them to think that they're their own boss. I'm not telling them when they have to be in the office. The only thing I tell them is that they have to return the phone calls that I send to them, you know, and, and do their best to make an income for themselves. Uh, but most people that fall into that position with me within a year to two years end up stepping out on their own and be an independent agent. And, uh, and it's kind of exciting. I love to see people succeed. And, you know, there's some top producing agents who started that work for me and they did that, you know, had that position and where they worked under me and, and I helped them, you know, generate leads for themselves until they figured it out on their own and they grew their business to a point where they stepped away from being under me to being their own agent. And, and there's some great agents out there that started with me, and I'm, I'm happy to say that I helped them get there. It sounds very similar to how you started under your uncle for a, a year and a half, two years, and then went out on Absolutely. your own. Absolutely. Last year, you said you don't count the, that production in your production. How many of these transactions occurred where you were receiving this referral fee for leads that you were handing off? I can honestly say I don't know. Most of those agents sell somewhere in the range of 25 to 40 houses a piece. Um, so they're, you know, they're doing two to four deals a month, you know, each of them. Um, and then they have to just to survive, you know, at, at those numbers. But um, I don't have an exact number, but they're all, you know, compared to most, they're all good producing agents. Could we roughly estimate that 
we're talking about maybe another 100 transactions that are occurring outside of your volume that you're handing the leads off to that, that end up resulting in a closing? Oh, easily, yeah. A lot of people would say you actually closed 400 transactions last year rather than the 300. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that. I, I don't like when people take credit for other people's work. <laughs> so, you know, when I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm my own boss. And so yes, I help them, but, but I, I don't take credit for what they do. You know, I, I didn't run out and show the house. I didn't, you know, take them to other houses. You know, I, I helped them, sure, but it, you know, they did the work. They, they got it to the closing table, and, and, you know, I think, yeah, it's an interesting concept, but I think it's because of where I started. So I, I've always, when I even started in the business, I was, I was under the Remax umbrella. And so you back then, I know Remax has changed a little bit. Back then, they were all 100% agents. So they paid their death fee, and the broker didn't get anything. You know, whether they sold zero houses or 10 houses in a month, you know, I, I never I never understood the commission split. Now, yes, I have them as a broker. That's what I want. But when I was born and bred in the REMAX system, I, I always thought of an agent as being an independent contractor. And they're, they're make or break. You know, they're, it's, they're responsible for making their business succeed or fail. And so when I first decided to step out into my own business, I knew I had a $1,200 a month rent that was due to REMAX. And I had three grand in the bank when I started out. So I knew I had two and a half months to, to either make some sales or be out of the business and figure out something else to do with my life. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I guess it's just how I was brought up in it. And I look at each agent as independent. Are you profitable? Yes. If I wasn't, I couldn't be doing it. So I, I say it jokingly, you know, without clients hearing, but I, I don't do this to make friends. I have, I have plenty of friends. I do this to make money. Um, it, it, if I'm showing up at the office, it, it's to make money. I, you know, I put a smile on my face and not every day am I happy about it, but I, I, I'm in this to make a profit. If, if not, I would be doing something else. Um, so I've always ran, and this is, kind of goes back to the split that I have with my agents. I've always ran at about a 50% profit in, in the end. And so, you know, my REO division is definitely not a 50% profit right now after office expenses and so on. But, um, you know, as far as my retail business and anything else I do, even, you know, during the REO boom, I was at a 50% profit. You know, we, we did really, really well. And, um, yeah, I look at that even with my buyers. I, I tell them that, um, you know, their business, because when you talk to somebody about a 60-40 split, sometimes they get a little bit squeamish. And I just tell them, my business has always ran at 50%. You have no other expenses that you have to, to pay except for gas and phone. That should be more than 10%. So at the point you've made 60, 10% is your expense. Now you're at 50% profit. Just answer the phone. I'll feed you the lead. So, so yes, it, it's profit. We're doing okay. Ray, what drives you? That, that's a great question. There's, there's many things that drive me. One, the number one is my family. Uh, I love my wife. I love my kids. Um, I want to support them. I want to give them the best life that, that they possibly have. Now we don't spoil our kids. Um, I make them work for it. Like I said, they make five bucks an hour to, to, uh, you know, put stamps on envelopes and so on. So I, we try to teach them. They have to work for everything. Um, but I, I never will I've never wanted to struggle. You know, I, I got in this business by the time I was 20, I was making over a hundred thousand dollars a year. And, you know, I, 
I've always, I've always pushed myself, whether it was when I was 12 years old, you know, plowing snow, I always wanted to make money. Um, now things have changed and yeah, I don't know if, if we were broke, I would probably look at it a little bit differently. Um, but number one, I want to support my family. I want to be able to do things. I want to be able to get to my church. Um, you know, I, I'm a very, I, I love donating. I love donating my time. I love donating my money. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I'd like to create opportunities for everybody else. Um, I, I don't know what specifically drives me, um, but I've, I've always just kind of had maybe that fire in the belly or whatever it is, but you know, that can also overwhelm you. And so, you know, I've had to put myself in check over the last few years and, you know, turn down appointments because I need to go to my kid's soccer game. That's way more important. And, uh, you know, I, I miss that when my kids are younger and, you know, I, I, I tell the story of that. I remember my first listing appointment when I was 19 years old and I got my first listing. And I remember it like it was yesterday and how excited I was. But I don't remember my oldest daughter walking for the first time. And that, that hurts me. You know, when I, when I think about that, I, I realize that my priorities were screwed up back then. I don't miss anything now. Nothing comes before my kids. So, you know, I, I've changed a bit. Yes, I still want to make an income. I still want to, you know, earn a, earn a good living and, and be able to do the things that we want to do. But I also, you know, have boundaries. Well, Ray, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? I think a new agent coming into the business, the absolute best thing they, they can do is to learn Facebook and the opportunities through it. And I'm trying to teach that to the new agents coming into, into my office right now. Uh, when it comes to marketing and spending marketing dollars and um, creating a, a sphere of influence and creating opportunities and creating uh, leads, Facebook is the absolute best bang for your buck. And so by learning how to do that, learning how to boost, learning how to market through Facebook, you can be successful. You know, I, I know I'm confident that agents – if, if that was their only source of lead generation, they could be successful just through Facebook alone. Ray, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Absolutely. The more that an agent or you know, any agent that's in this business, the more they can learn and learn what other people are doing in their business and mimic that. I mean, I, nothing that I do I created on my own. I, I listened to what other people were doing. I talked to other REO agents. I talked to other retail agents and I just took what they were doing and I made it a little bit better or I made it my own way. And, and so, you know, I, nothing, nothing's, I don't want to say nothing's brand new, but you take what other people are doing and, and implement it in your business. And the only way to learn is by, you know, listening to, you know, calls like these, um, you know, listening to webinars, you know, and so on. There's so much access to you know, good information out there. But yeah, absolutely. The more you can hear what other agents are doing, the, the better your business is going to be because why create things from the ground up? Take what other people are doing, steal it, make it a little better, and make it your own. Well, Ray, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? If you're new, I highly recommend that you look at a you look at getting in under a team or uh, you know some type of mentorship. Um, if you're if you've been in the business a little while and and still struggling, you know look at what other people are doing, 
make sure when you're answering the phone, you've got a smile on your face, and that's all it's going to take to be successful. Well, Ray, you must have a smile on your face. You've been successful in up markets and down. You transitioned from boom boom to depression gloom and back again. You've been able to adjust and capitalize on new market dynamics and excel when other agents are frozen by fear and frustration. You are an action taker and you share your wisdom by providing opportunity to new agents just like your uncle mentored you. I have no doubt that you will succeed in any future market. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sidestepped a major obstacle and pushed for a better way of life. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.